Welcome to the Nerdaplexy comic movie review show. In this series, we normally break down and analyze every comic movie released between 1989's Batman all the way to 2008's Iron Man. But the spooky season is upon us. Ooh. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> Crash. So we are reviewing this spooky the spookiest films that we remember or thought were cool uh, and we'll watch them again and then uh, we'll determine are they spooky or spooky Uh -uh. (laughs) joining me on this stupidly named gimmicky title is my longtime friend and uh, frequent uh, I didn't come up with another funny one. Rouse the Freddy to your Jason last time. Oh, yes. That could be the, the Dr. Giggles to your Dr. Jiggles. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sam. I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot, that's all. <laughs> and since this is a very special spookier spoopy episode, we've also got our social media manager and a funny man from the internet. It's Dave. I think, therefore, you are. Scary stuff. It would be so scary if you said it in a, in a, like a really weird, unintelligible accent, though. There's, there are a lot of accents flying around in this. I think so, therefore, you are. Now, I can't do bad accents. I can't do good accents. I can't do any accents. No, you can only do bad accents. I can, oh yeah, there it is. I can only do bad accents. But the, it's not a good bad accent. But not the good ones. But we are watching... In the mouth of madness. All right. Is it too soon for a parody porner? Let me let me say one thing quick. My kids made me watch Mulan with them, so every time I saw the title "In the Mouth of Madness," I I kept thinking "In the Mouth of Madness" to destroy the Huns. It just like, <laughs> let's get down to business. It just fits that cadence in my head, and I can't get it out. My brain is broken. So anyway, parody porner. In the mouth of Gladys. Man. That's it. Gladys? Bow chicka bow wow. And we're out. As you always do, aren't you going to make the synopsis of this one? Yes, so this is this is an insurance agent looking for an erotic novelist who's gone missing. Gone missing at with a name like Gladys. He's got to go missing in a nursing home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is bad. It's a whole dentures thing. Now it's a very specific one. Talk about body horror. If you aren't willing to watch it, you're ageist. We've done a few times, like with Dr. Giggles, where we go into this part where there's nobody who would really actually want to watch this, this parody porn. (laughs) This is not for anybody. There's something for everybody. So as we do often with like Dr. Giggles, where we get into a very specific Dr. Jiggle territory where it's not really, there's nothing sexy about it. So I guess that old folks home kind of works. But my thought was... Okay, insurance agent looking for a missing erotic novelist who is in a town that she created for her erotic novels. Dong Springs. And it brings about the end of the world. Okay. <laughs> I like that. She's like a romance, no- like an eroticist mm-hmm. novelist, and then she gets sucked in it. Yeah. Oh, she definitely gets sucked in it <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> but don't. <laughs> Very good. All right, to the movie. Released February 3rd, 1995, directed by John Carpenter. This one stars Sam Neill, Jurgen Promchow, and Julie Carmen. Oh, and the score by John Carpenter absolutely rips ass. It's just like guitar, just friggin' guitar <laughs> solos on guitar solos. My God. It slaps. This is like a CD I would have had as a kid. It's It started running, and I was like, yes. It's so good. Let's just get it out of the way now. Carpenter is just great. Great. This movie is great. The score is great. The fucking title sequence, talking about that score, I was jamming from the first second I started this thing. And you guys know, I love a title sequence. This is a good one. We, like, really get in it, and the music is just magnificent. But let's get all the Sutter Kane stuff out of the way first right now. Let's just do a quick little Sutter Kane trivia bomb blast so maybe that we don't have to, like, keep bringing it up through the whole thing. So this movie, it's In the Mouth of Madness, which is kind of a twist em up of... In the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. So there's the two big, huge influences over this movie. Stephen King, a.k.a. 
in our instance here, Sutter Kane and H.P. Lovecraft, which is all of the actual stories that Sutter Kane is writing. So it's kind of like a mashup of Sutter right. Kane if Stephen yeah. King wrote Lovecraft. It's not a one to one Stephen King to Sutter Kane because they mentioned Stephen King a few times in the movie to be like, oh, he kicks Stephen King's ass. Yeah, basically as like a, as a worse writer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They only bring him up to like kind of dunk on him, like, oh, he's like so much better than Stephen King. I feel like Stephen King wrote that, but they're also talking about Stephen King basically this whole time. Right, and Stephen King is notoriously good buddies with John Carpenter. Yes, the Carpenter di- directed Christine. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they they had worked together, and I feel like Stephen King and John Carpenter are both equally madmen. So I feel like they would get along pretty great, especially at this time. They're both blasting coke so much. <laughs> They're having a great time, these two. This maybe was the end of the coke scene for them, actually. No, yeah. Actually, you're right. Stephen King is pretty much out of that. But he's still like a super famous broski. At this point in Carpenter's career, he's also been riding high for like 20 Mm -hmm. years now. Mm -hmm. Halloween is, what, 74 or somewhere in there. Also, special effects in this movie done by Greg Nicotero. Who's that? He worked on a lot of the Romero flicks under the tutelage of Tom Savini. And he's most recently and famously known for working on The Walking Dead and all of those series, Fear the Walking Dead, etc. All right. So, yeah, this is a good flick. It's got lots of talented individuals working on it. All right. So, yeah, I think that kind of covers it. So that's the basic thing. I just wanted to bring up that there's tons of Lovecraft and Stephen King kind of crossover moments. Uh, The reason why I picked this as my movie is because me and my other brother, who's between me and Dave... We used to listen to a podcast, the HP Podcraft, Lovecraft podcast, and they would they basically like read all the stories and they talk about all of the all of the background and et cetera. And one episode they had mentioned like their fit one of their favorite Lovecraftian movies, and this was up there. So I was like, oh, we should definitely check that out, and we put it on, and it was like an instant classic in my mind. And I had no idea how I'd never heard of it up until then. Well, that begs the question, uh, Dave. Had you ever seen this before the pod? I never heard of it before you guys brought it up. It was a completely fresh watch. I had seen it before, but I had only seen bits and pieces. I had seen the ending, and I caught maybe like 20 minutes of the middle way back in the day on like Encore or something, maybe a free HBO weekend, something along those lines. I have been chasing it ever since, and I didn't realize it was a Carpenter movie. This was the first time I had ever seen it whole cloth. But from the parts that I had seen, I was very excited and I was not disappointed in this flick. All right, so let's get into it. The opening scene is the book printing for the latest Sutter Kane novel. He's a bestseller. He's outselling everybody. He's like the most prolific writer of our time at this point. But we don't get a lot of that. But we see our hero, Trent, played by Sam Neill getting forcibly admitted to a mental hospital, and he's in quite obvious distress. <laughs> and that's Sam's opening line after they get him in his cell. Cell number nine is his line. I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot, that's all. Sam Neill. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad to see Sam Neill in pretty much anything. Such a powerful performance. It was so good. I that wanted that to be my line, and I told Sam that I had already gotten my line, and he was like, nope. Pick a different one because he knew instantly that that was the one. <laughs> yeah. He was three minutes into the movie and he was like, I already have what I want to say. I'm like, no, you don't move along. <laughs> he delivers it with like such kind of like touching sincerity after he's like just going bananas. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry about the balls. Like shot. It's a great line reading. Right. Now, another great thing here is he's screaming, I'm not insane. And then you get like the other people saying like, I'm not. And then another guy's like, yeah, me neither. And uh, that one's John Carpenter cameo. Oh, hey, neat. In that I'm Spartacus moment. Yeah, I'm not Spartacus moment. They're in their individual cells and they, which I thought was pretty funny, they put on the Carpenters to soothe the patients. And I don't know, are the Carpenters just always like a little bit creepy? That's just kind of like part of their thing. Not the Carpenters too. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And I wonder if it's just a play on just John Carpenter. There's that, and there's also the We've Only Just Begun. And they had only just begun. Yeah, it's very descriptive. Because it is at the beginning, there's lots of 
flashes and weird kind of flashback things going on as your boy is not doing well. Big time Christian imagery, jump scares, the whole nine. I was going to say it was like a, a, a callback from the Punisher episode where you guys talked about the vague Christian symbols making it spookier. They get plenty of that. This first little hallucination scene, when the hand tapped on the glass, I was like, oh boy, yeah, we are in good hands here. Good hand. Those things cameo. Interestingly enough, when that hand blasted through the glass, the fake glass cut Sam Neill and he had to go to the hospital. There's a lot of hand blasting in the parody as well. <laughs> I imagine. There's a lot of tentacles in this movie. That, that makes me pretty scared for in the mouth of Gladys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly as you'd think. So the music winds down and there's like the hallucination scene and... What I thought was a great line during the wind down, and it says, it's not over. You haven't even read it yet. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. After that little sequence, we get a visit from our TGRI guy, David Warner. The professor. Yes, the professor is back. He, Dr. Baxter made it. He is, um, he's come to check on the new intake patient and him and one of the physicians at the institution here discuss what's been going on outside. They kind of like vague, like, oh, is he one of those? Is he part of what that is? Right. Things are bad out there. That's what we get from the scene. Yes. Yes. He's one of them. Trent, the only thing he requested, I don't like to nitpick, but. <laughs> he requested one black crayon and then we see his cell and talking about Christian imagery, he has drawn crosses on every single available square footage of his cell all over his face and his bedding. Does John Carpenter know what a crayon do? Yeah, so he would need several crayons, and then for it to color on skin, they would need to be those Halloween costume makeup crayons. Oil-based. Yeah, so it would, be, <laughs> it would be untenable for him to do that with one crayon. It's a stupid nitpick, but the whole time you see him decorated from head to toe in like crosses and stuff, and I'm like... One one fucking, uh, one crayon? The line read would have been a lot weirder if he was like, yeah, all he asked for was 50 black crayons and a couple Halloween makeup crayons. A box of crayons and eyeliner pen. That's all he requested. He wanted a Chris Angel makeup set and a box of black crayons. He freaked our minds. But it, it's very effective. The room looks cool as hell. I imagine that was like something the production team, the interns did. They just scribbled crosses all over. It looks good. I like the vibe and it kind of gets you in the right vibe that Trent here has been through it. So turns out Trent was a insurance investigator looking into the disappearance of Sutter Kate. I wrote down shrewd insurance agent with an inscrutable accent. <laughs> inscrutable uh basically though he just kind of sticks to his new zealand accent which is where sam neil is from he's not looking for sutter kane yet he's busting some dude's chops for burning down his own warehouse we see him in action right and then yeah so like you said there's a guy who burned his stuff down and he's got a they've got pictures of the wife wearing stuff that the guy claimed to be burnt and then even better his girlfriend wearing stuff that they claimed to be burned and all he had to do was show the picture of his girlfriend wearing that stuff to the wife to figure out that it was all a fire that he had started for insurance purposes fucking Trent really gives it to him though and I feel like this is like why you can't feel bad about the fact that like all this crazy stuff is gonna happen to him later because like he lays it on thick to my man like okay you caught him you got him and then just like 10 minutes of just really rubbing his nose in it mm -hmm. not only did he catch him in the lie about arson but he definitely blew up his spot with the adultery as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> going to jail for insurance fraud was going to do that for him anyhow come on right just fucking up his conjugal sitch and then he was like, well, it was easy to do because his wife liked me. So like, mm -hmm. was he insinuating that his wife wanted to have an affair with Trent? Like was Trent? Oh, no. He banged her for sure. He bangs his wife. Yes. Shows the wife, the girlfriend, and then busts the husband all in like one fell swoop. We don't know if he banged the wife. That's all. Maybe the girlfriend. I don't know. But like, look at Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Sam Neill is going to be. 
he's going to be a hard man to resist. Look at that guy. Come on. He's charming. That accent, that weird nebulous <laughs> accent, you don't know what, where, which way he's coming or going. It works here because it just makes him sound crazy, but like... It's a, the, the accent out of space. <laughs> <laughs> Non-Euclidean accent. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so he's a real good insurance agent. Yeah, so he does it. He's good, and his boss loves it. You know, it's kind of like a, like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of situation. He just shakes him down. Um, but they're having a little celebratory coffee. And not the nitpick, not his boss, just the guy who like hired him as a contractor. Right. He's a free agent. Because he says no one pulls my strings. Uh, well. Right. The whole thing is, yeah, him getting his strings pulled. Spoiler. But yes, to your point, having a celebratory coffee. And then he has a meeting with a man with an axe. Oh, yeah. I called that a meat cut. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Okay, so this guy blasts through the window with an axe, and he's about to chop Trent, and he says, Do you read Sutter Kane? What? And he gets shot by police. He gets kablooied, but he don't look right. His eyes are all messed up. He's got, like, goat eyes. People go nuts for this guy's books, apparently. Hey, That's probably one of the taglines. Speaking of which, Arcane Publishing is looking to hire Trent to track down Sutter Kane, and they are Sutter Kane's publishing house that is helmed by ya boy Charlton Heston. Yeah, man. Yes. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. What's he doing in this one? Making money. Making like a solid million yeah, bucks. For a solid 10 minutes of work. My dude. But there's no damn dirty apes in this one. That's probably why he was willing to do it. Let's check out the budget. Let's see how much of that is Charlton Heston. Looking like eight mil. So at least estimated. an eighth. Like a half a mil? Do they give Charlton Heston half a mil for per like scene? One half of one yeah. day's work. He just shows up in a suit he's already fucking owns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just it. Thank you. Here's dinner. <laughs> Thank you for coming, sir. Because both of his scenes, that's like an mm-hmm. afternoon. Yeah. They're out of there by lunchtime. No problem. Sam Neill, normal. Sam Neill, slightly more disheveled. And then see you later, Chuck. Yeah. Have a good day. <laughs> See you later, Chuck. Thank you so much, Chuck. Oh, boy. So we find out here through the exposition of Styles, who evidently works for Arcane Publishing, that Sutter's books make people disoriented, lose memory, and have severe paranoid reactions. Specifically people who are already mentally unwell. And they have access to these books, I guess. That's what Styles says, but she's working for the company. She drank that Kool-Aid. She is Sutter Kane's editor. Mm -hmm. Yes, she's an editor and staff. She is exclusively an editor for Sutter Kane. Exactly. That's the only thing she does. Like Stephen King, it seems like he pumps one of these things out every year. They get made into movies, and, you know, it's, like, extremely popular. Right. Sam Neill's trying to get a little bit busy with her. He comes at her hard. <laughs> this has some parallels to the gate, like that Sutter Kane is basically the sacrifice of the horror novel world. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> He's just a conduit for this unknown, mysterious thing. Except he doesn't tell us how to close it, or sacrifice did. Yeah, so the sacrifice for the win there. And we also find out that Sam Neill, John Trent, is not a fan of horror. He thinks it's just poisoning the brains of people, and yeah, kind of is. Not to nitpick again, but this guy is a very smart. He's obviously very intelligent. He's a very informed man. And he has not heard of an author bigger than Stephen King who sells like a billion units. Mm-hmm. But he, he considers it pulp. I, I think he's never read yeah, it. You heard of him. Okay, so he just is like, oh, I don't, I don't right. pay attention to that. For his research, though, he does get some of those books, and he passes one of the gigantic posters of the Hobbs End Horror, and it says, if this book doesn't scare you to death, you're already dead, which I think was a cool tagline for a book. And it does look like mid-'90s Stephen King paperbacks. I really love the vibe of all like the publishing and the book imagery, because I'm like, I have dog-eared versions of books that look exactly like this so that was pretty fun for me i like that a lot and i liked where sam was talking about he's walking past the posters and he pulls a little bit and you can't see anything behind it then he walks and he sees some light police brutality Mm -hmm. a lot of witnesses too i noticed for the police brutality then you only see a part of the graffiti which i really like this touch and then he buys up all those books and reads most of them and the best sellers are selling for six dollars that's such a great price for a bestseller it really is paperbacks baby a guy working at the bookstore comes out his eyes are bleeding and he says he sees you which is real creepy 
so this scene of this policeman, it pops up a, a couple of different times in like little dream sequences. And each time it's like more and more spooky. And the graffiti that Dave mentioned, it starts out, it says like, I cut and then I can, and then I can see. Uh, and this is a recurring thing that um, during Trent's multiple hallucinations, people say he can see you or they can see you. They things like that. And the people from the police brutality, the witnesses, they all look a little bit more grotesque every time you see them. Right. I wrote down that I thought that cop could use a facial. He was having a, a rough day. <laughs> he gets one in the uh, in the parody. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, <they're>, so <laughs> so uh, yeah, he has the nightmare of the cop, and he's a scary monster cop, and a bunch of axe wielding madmen. But then he wakes up. But that scary cop is right next to him again. It was a dream in a dream. He wakes up again. And then he starts smoking, and he looks really cool smoking. That's all All that to say that Sam Neill looks really cool when he's smoking. I like the dream in a dream trope. Yeah. Sam Neill's just cool. Did you guys ever have a dream in a dream? It's a weird thing. I think we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks on our little Nemo episode. Oh, I think we did. <laughs> I, I'm thinking I might remember that, yeah. It's a very dreamy episode. Okay, so Kane has disappeared two months ago, and he sent his agent a couple of chapters of the new book, and it turns out that that was the axe-wielding man who attacked Trent earlier was the agent. And apparently, Kane started to believe that what he was writing was actually real. And that kind of like leads into the people who are being affected in a psychological way after reading his his books. Yes, Sam Neill has been reading into some of these books prior to his nightmare, and he's looking at the covers and realizes, lo and behold... There's a map that you can make out of cutting the map-like pieces out of all of the covers of the books. This right here is why I'd be safe in almost any horror movie. I am trash at puzzles. Yeah, I don't know if I'd figure that out. <laughs> but he's a really perceptive, astute dude, so we find that out. He's really good at puzzles. Yeah, so there's kind of like a sequence of him getting clues, and he's reading the books, and things are starting to get weird and creepy. But he, he thinks it's like a scam or mass hysteria because he has these conversations with I don't know who he's having those conversations with because you never hear who's on the other line. You think you're given the kind of impression that it's the guy from earlier who he worked with before on the on the warehouse case, but you never actually hear who's on the line or that never comes into play, which I thought was a pretty nice touch. He's just like nebulously talking to someone. That's the great thing about Lovecraft stories is just kind of like leaving a lot unknown. Yeah, the way that this is structured, really, you can tell that Carpenter is a fan of Lovecraft and of Stephen King's work because there's lots of like tropes that are in here. And it's not like copying. It's not like parody, but it's just using that style, playing in those genres that those people have created, which is something that H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King with his Dark Tower cycle creating these mythos uh, moments Lovecraft was a huge fan of and he communicated with a lot of other authors that were active in that time and they would be like I wrote a short story about this monster can I mention your monsters and they're like yeah man like absolutely so I, I, I thought that was a cool little shared universe amongst cosmic horror authors of that time I want us to come back to who he's talking to on the phone but I want us to come back to it at the end Okay, excellent. I'm into that. Remind me. Yes. Because I, I will absolutely forget. I probably will too. So I might have to like, well, whenever I listen to this on edit, I'll just have to cut back in what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, like, you have to cut it yeah. back in yourself. Yeah. So at this point, he talks to Chuck again, and they determine that he needs to go to the place that he found on the map. He believes that Hobbs End, which is kind of like Stephen King's Castle Rock or what have mm -hmm. you, is a fictional town, but Trent believes it actually exists based on his little collage that he made. So Chuck Heston says, basically, you can do that, but you got to bring Styles with you. Who is the worst co-pilot. <laughs> right. Because she is dead asleep. Well, first of all, she falls she falls asleep, and to, yeah, to wake her up, he grabs the bike horn out of his <laughs> out of his glove box. Why does he have a bike horn? Okay, okay, okay. Let's stop because I have this. I have this written down, and I, we cannot move past this. He grabs a a, a fucking Pee Wee Herman bike horn out of his glove compartment because he has that. He honks it at her and scares her to wake her up, and then she grabs handfuls of chips and throws them at him. And he stops and says, hey, 
I found this so strange. Never, never, never throw chips at a driver. What? madness. What? <laughs> I didn't write it down because I didn't know that. Don't you? Look, you have to put that scene in here, that whole scene. It's totally nuts. It's so strange. Oh, it's so weird. I have no idea why that scene's in this movie. It's like, is this them bonding? It's crazy. Lucky for us, though, he gets to take a nap now, and Styles gets to drive. She goes from being the worst co-pilot to being the worst pilot. <laughs> worst driver ever. <laughs> well, yeah, before that, they do a little quote, and they talk about... Sane and insane could easily switch places if the insane were to become the majority. You would find yourself locked in a padded cell, wondering what happened to the world. It's like a very cool moment, and that is kind of a turning mm. point. When they say, when she says that line, when all the sane have become insane or the insane are sane, that is the turning point when shit starts mm-hmm. popping off. So, so now Styles is driving. <laughs> Styles, <laughs> and she's is like, she's really distractible. So dangerous, so dangerous. She almost hits a little boy on a bike, and she's like actively falling asleep. I would think that actively falling asleep and almost killing a child would be the time when you were like, whoa. Dave's thing. Hey, bud, we got to stop somewhere, you know? Exactly, exactly. She sees this kid going one way down the road, and she uh-huh. almost kills him, and then she keeps driving, and she sees him coming the other way, but now he old now. Right. And then she hits him. They see him, and it's like, whoa, that was pretty crazy. And you see him again, and now he's old, and now rule the threes. The third time, she blasts him. Dude gets back up. He says, I can't get out. You won't let me out. So you get the idea that he's been trying to bike out of this town for like, I don't know, 80 years. Mm-hmm. And then he rides off. Exactly. And Trent just says, I guess he was okay. Yeah. And he's so <laughs> <laughs> he's so chill about letting her get back behind the wheel. Yeah. He's like, I guess that's over and done with. He was fine. Don't hit anybody else. He's like, I can't believe I slept through the night. <laughs> what? Heading back to Brigadoon here. It's 40 winks time. Why did she get back behind the wheel? He's an insurance guy. And his car was fine. You'd think he'd be like, we have to get this guy's information. You have to go get his information. Right. He could be concussed. Or at least maybe he could take over driving. Well, I guess it's just bad judgment all around because he's willing to let her drive. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally cool to keep driving. (laughs) Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) I just had a hallucinogenic episode. And I think I really should just get the show on the road. Yeah, she's not in her right mind, and that's um, extremely obvious because she keeps driving again, and the next thing, next thing you know, she's sky driving. The lights popping off everywhere, and then it sounds like she's hitting things, and Trent is sleeping the whole time. Oh yeah, like a baby. Quick cover bridge, and there you go. Morning time. Now we're in the Beetlejuice town. Yep, and now they switch places. <laughs> yeah, that, now he'll drive. That, It's Hobbs End. And Trent says, thanks for driving. Yeah. Was that sarcastic? No, that was great. Thanks. I got to sleep through the night. (laughs) That was awesome. He's just like, he's like, oh, hey, Styles, you found it. This is great. He's like, I'll take over. Well, he he doesn't even say I'll take over. She says. You drive. You're driving. And we found Hobbs End. Trent was totally out. He didn't see nothing spooky. He wasn't aware of the absence of time. Nothing. And the scariest part of the movie for me. Uh-huh. was a pack of wild children chasing a small dog, which they come back to later. That imagery really freaked me out. Spooky ghost kids. They hit you hard a couple of times here. They find like a Main Street USA. Main Street USA. Kind of thing. And Trent says some like skeptical, cynical bullshit. Oh, he says everything's so cute. Cute, cute, cute. But we see a bloody axe. She did see the kids chasing the dog. He did not. Uh-huh. But we saw the bloody axe, and none of the characters in the movie did. So that was a, that was a little bit of dramatic irony. I had to look up what that mechanic was called. Okay. Trent is much less affected by the town. She's kind of freaking out. I don't know if he's being obtuse just as a defense mechanism, because at this point, they had both all read Sutter Kane. But he thinks this is all a gimmick. Like, oh, they mm-hmm. set this up so that somebody can find this and be freaked out, and they take him there, and he'll... Report it to the authorities, and it'll be this huge thing for their publicity. They're staying in the town because they're going to find out Sutter Cane and expose them, and you know, that's mm-hmm. going to be the thing. So they go to the local hotel, the Pikmin Hotel. Named after a Lovecraft story, Pikmin's model. And it is a hotel that was in the latest novel, The Hobbs and Horror. 
I'm guessing they're referencing the horror at Red Hook, I think. I'm not sure. But I know Happy Gilmore's grandma's in there running the place. Billy Madison's grandma is... Happy Gilmore's grandma. Is Mrs. Pickman here. Little Nikki's grandma. And Styles is convinced that they're... Happy Gilmore's grandma. Hmm? Mr. Deed's grandma's there and... <laughs> Hubie Halloween's grandma. <laughs> the fucking guy from Big Daddy. The guy from Big Daddy's grandma. Click's grandma's there. And she is punch drunk and in love. Okay, anyway. Eight crazy nights of grandma over here. That's a different parody. <laughs> I'm telling you, Sam, there's a market. I know. We can tap into it. Uh, anyway, so she's running it. She's all around pretty creepy just in general. There's a spooky painting. Yeah, it's moving. It's changing. He's watching us. He sees everything. This is another thing that only Linda saw, the painting. And if it was supposed to be set up for Trent, I was just shocked that like she was freaking out so much. At this point, he's just being obtuse. Yeah. He's a man and she's being hysterical. So he's like actively overlooking this bullshit. Right. And she knows everything about what's going on here because she's read all of the books and she knows them to a T. So, like, at this point, he's like, well, if this is if this town is really real, then there'd be a church with black obsidian spires out this window. And she's like, no, you didn't read the book right, because it's out in the east window. And then she uh, throws it open. The church is cool. It's super cool looking. There's, like, brass onions or whatever on top. I forget main characters' names five minutes after reading a whole novel. Yeah. And she knows, she remembers that it's, like, out the east window. <laughs> She knew the map of the town. She knew the way every single thing looked in the hotel without looking at anything. So anyway, they determined they need to check out this church. Literally, like, they walk out of the hotel. It looks like it's, like, the back parking lot. Like, you walk across the parking lot, and there it is. Yeah, but later on, she drives away, and she drives all day and ends up at that church. Yeah, but th she also drives through a covered bridge. It's nighttime, and then it's daytime. So I, yeah. I think there's just okay. timey-wimey problems. Well, the best part about the church is they get there, and... Vigo the Carpathian from Ghostbusters yes. 2 comes and starts shooting his shotgun. And Linda knew. <laughs> Linda said, we got to go before the riot starts. Vigo. I didn't know that was Vigo. Yeah, that's Vigo. That's why his accent's so insane. Vigo the real Carpathian is in this movie. The villager? Okay, I got to find his name. He's looking for his son who Sutter Kane has absconded with evidently, or at least has gone into the church never to come back out. So the townsfolk show up, doors open, and Sutter Kane appears and summons a bunch of Dobermans, which at this point are kind of coded as like devil dogs from like the Omen and stuff. I had in my notes, you are alive when they start to eat you. Sam Neill quote, that was from Jurassic Park. He's talking about the raptors. I see. Well, luckily, the dogs only attack the guys with the really bulky jackets. <laughs> so that was... <laughs> That was really beneficial for everybody. You're not supposed to notice that. The guys with the big bulky sleeve jackets, those were the guys that got it then. <laughs> the guys with the jerky in their pockets. <laughs> yeah. They get back to the hotel and Trent, he's so convinced that this is just, the, this whole thing is a setup. And Styles thinks that they need to find the book so that they can see the ending because she fully is convinced now that what Sutter Kane has written is now real. So she thinks the only way out is through. John Trent's trying to bail out. Styles tries using her feminine wiles to keep him around. I like that it didn't work. Yeah. She wasn't reading the mo the the vibe right. No. But speaking of creepy paintings like Vigo the Carpathian, he does see on him when he's trying to exit that the people that are by the lake in the painting are now zombified, nicoterrified. In all this, we do find out that the publishers were doing a publicity stunt like Trent suspected, but it went wrong. And they just want to get the book, basically sent her to get the book back. Mrs. Pickman is also looking a little bit worse for the wear. She's getting wild. He makes a point to say it. You look tired, which is like a shitty thing to say. Well... Well, he's an asshole. He's a nihilistic dirtbag. Earlier, he says, well, that Miss Pickman in the book, she butchered her husband, etc. And then you get a little pan down, and there's a butt-naked old dude handcuffed to her leg. That was a real creepy point. That was real creepy, man. And, it, and strategically odd. Kicking him and stuff. It's pretty brutal. 
Trent is just willfully believing that this is a goof because I think he's freaking out and he's like, no, this has to be a scam. That's all this is. This is just like a new kind of theme park or something, which would be a great idea. Are you kidding me? What an immersive kind of like haunted house experience. If you just went to a whole ass town kind of thing from just like a small setting like that little town and it was like a whole ass haunted house thing. You started it was just a little bit creepy. And then like later that night, bam, haunted house. Creepy kids. Yeah. <laughs> then something happens. Maybe like every Today's year. Today's mommy's day. A little bit different or something. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like an escape room or something. And then it leads to a haunted house. That would be cool. Like a haunted house escape room mash them up. I'm sure they've got those. If not, TM, 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 TM. So Trent's trying to leave. Linda took Trent's keys and he can't. Right. He goes to a bar to kill some time. Vigo's there, gives him another warning. And we cut to Styles driving. It's now nighttime and she just made it to the church. Let me see that poor little three-legged dog and some spooky kids. The dog that they were chasing. Yeah, so they must have got a leg off of him. Yeah. Those kids are creepy. It's not cool. Those kids are spooky. They are not spooky. Yeah, that's a full-blown spooky. Styles walks up, and she sees all who enter here are damned or whatever. And she just goes like, oh, here we go. Inside, it's a reverse church. Got, like, crosses upside down and a spooky door. And inside the room is Sutter Kane inside, yet again, another Encarta CD. Mm. Inside, a flame JPEG on every wall. And weird cardboard doors that are, like, pulsating. Okay, so the, the flame background void work is bad. But that door is spooky and dripping wet. That is a spooky door. Maybe in high definition, it lost something for me. The door just looked like wet cardboard to me. I'm on team creepy door. It felt like cardboard to me. It looked like cardboard, I should say. It's because it was so spooky. Sure. You convinced yourself. You like Trent. This is fake. You just had to pretend like it wasn't. I mean, I'm not scared by this. This movie's fake. It's a cardboard door. Oh, I was scared by a lot of this movie, but the door didn't get me. (laughs) It looked like cardboard to me. Right. So she's in the void. Kane says at first, he's kind of like, hey, look, I used to think I was making this all up too, but it turns out I was possessed by fucking old ones. In my notes, I said this is in cool world territory because the world exists and is affecting what he's writing. Yeah. And he thought he was making it up, which is interesting because Gabriel Byrne was considered for the role of John Trent. And Gabriel Byrne is the one who created the Cool World comics and Cool World. Gabriel Byrne would be good in this. He would have been good. This is where Sutter Kane says, I think therefore you are. Then there's tentacles and jump scares and bloody eyes. Yeah, she gets like hypnotized and now she's kind of done for. But then, in my opinion, the finest, grossest, maybe most simple special effect. The reveal? The reveal, where the camera kind of like, it pans around his back and you see that there's this goblin on the back of his head. Like a Voldemort on the back of his head. That's like a stage four Voldemort. That's a full-grown creature. You need a lot more than a turban to cover that bad boy. Looked like Cronenberg took over the movie from the end. There's a lot of body horror coming on. And then... That's when Styles gets a close-up view of the new edition. Mm. So she gets to read the book. We cut to Sam Neill. He's back in the hotel because he's got no place else to go. And then he looks at the painting. It's now all tentacle monstered up, which is real creepy. And then uh, he's like, he's waited three minutes for Miss Pickman. And he's like, come on, y'all, bitch. I'm like, damn. Like, yeah, he's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Very rarely do I root for the good guy to get got, but he was a shitty dude. She's like 85 years old. She could be five minutes walk away. Just hit the thing and just be patient. And what are you going to check out for? What are you, Just leave. What are you doing? Right, true. Yeah. She didn't leave a credit card. City boy. Thinking you need to leave a credit card. Yeah, well, then I don't need to pay. Perfect. No, but then he does catch a glimpse of Miss Pickman, who is herself now fully ass tentacled. Ass tentacled. Yes. And that was done with miniature. John Carpenter said he tried really? to do it with a guy in a suit, and he said it was not believable. So they did it in miniature. And I think the effect was really cool. That was amazing. I thought for sure it was like people in suits or whatever working together. But that that's amazing. There's a cool line here by Styles. She appears and she's in the room and she keeps telling Trent. I'm losing me. Which I thought was pretty crazy. And uh, this is where we noticed that 
Trent is in the cell that he's placed in at the beginning of the movie is number nine. The hotel room that he's in is also number nine. And at this point, Styles is fully gone. And yeah, there's the monster in the basement. So the kids are outside with Styles. And then that makes sense. I have axe ring around the Rosie and I could not parse what that was. But that's when um, Trent gets outside. Mm-hmm. They're all waiting for him. And he keeps trying to drive. And he he runs into the bar to meet with Vigo again because everybody's got monster faces. He says uh, he doesn't want to do this, and he sticks his gun in his mouth, and he says, uh, I have to. He wrote me this way. My first big belly laugh of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, because your thing is. (laughs) I've been enjoying myself wholeheartedly through this full experience, but I'm in it. I'm I'm in this on Mm -hmm. like a horror level. Then at one point, Trent, walks up to Styles and just just Dexter. Just cold Coxer. <laughs> oh man. I have it written it still shocks me. A couple a good couple times. Hitting ladies even in horror movies is wild to see. A good three times. <laughs> it's so funny. Honestly, it looks like a scene out of Naked Gun. If you take the scary music away, it's, <laughs> it's Naked Gun for sure. Or that Wicker Man remake where Nicolas Cage punches ladies. You Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey! The sequence here is so funny to me because first, it's he beats the crap out of her. Second, she eats. She dry swallows keys! She dry swallows his keys. He throws her in the car. She wakes up. That's when she does the keys. Right. And then you find out. Well, you don't find out. I find out on IMDb that those keys were made out of pasta. That's awesome. But after she swallows the keys. Dexter again! I didn't count the time, but I'm guessing it's four seconds before he has that car started with a <laughs> screwdriver. Yeah. It is so fast. He had like a tool for that in the glove box. Next to his bike horn. My dude's prepared. In case some crazy bee swallows my keys, I just have this like set <laughs> skill where I can... It, it was so fast. Yeah, I was shocked. It would have taken me six hours to get the car started without keys. Here's what I will say about that. I used to have a, like a, a much older car. I used to be very forgetful with my things, as any of my friends can attest. Most of my phone calls throughout my 20s were me calling people who had immediately just kindly driven my drunk ass around to ask them, is my wallet in your car mm. or is you know my cell phone in your car? Things of that nature. So um, you just forgot what you were going to say. Wow. That's the worst. And the it's story the about how you were forgetful. <laughs> oh, no. It's a perfect story arc. You, you, you did it on purpose. That, that was yes. a story about you being forgetful. The plot thickens. Okay. So I knew I, I'm very forgetful. I forgot my keys. My old, I had a little, a little station wagon that I'd put her around in, kept a set of scissors in the glove box that I could use to hot wire my car. So I would just jam them in the ignition and. The lock was broken, so you could just start it with any old thing. So Okay, so maybe yeah, he that's broke cool, it on purpose. A, a lot of those old cars, if you just jammed a screwdriver in the ignition and used it like a key, it would just start right up. He did at least one other move, though, underneath the steering wheel. He did something. He popped something out. I don't know. It was quick. He popped out whatever, probably just popped out the key thing so that he can get behind it to the thing that's just done by a screwdriver. But damn, that was quick thinking. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. He has done this before. Yeah, he was ready. Then another creepy scene comes up where where Linda gets out of the car super slow and her head starts spinning the wrong way and then she starts crab walking. I dropped a picture of it in the team's chat because it's a real freaky image. Yeah, it's a bad one. Cirque de la (laughs) Grosse, right? Am I right? And then he Cirque drives off. No way. Cirque no way. <laughs> there it is. We found it. No, but uh, do you know that's a practical effective? Shut up. Yes. A contortionist. And they just put a crude mask of this lady on the contortionist's head. As you can see, if you look at the picture right now, you can tell. That's just a mask of the lady. It's just smiling. Yeah, the, the one you sent, you can tell. Holy shit. And they just slapped it onto this contortionist who's now really walking like that. If I saw that person in real life, I would be very scared. But then we get to the, one of the best sequences in the movie as well, because he hops in that car and he just keeps driving back into town. And he sees the kid again. He can't get away from town. On the bike. Right, yeah. That's, that's some true nightmare stuff. 
A lot of this is like a thing that would happen in a nightmare. You try to leave and you can't find your keys and you keep ending up in the same place. And he keeps ending up in this town with a big crowd of people. Right. And then he stops and turns around and drives away and he ends up back again. Right. And that cool sequence is ended by him saying basically like, well, I guess I got to drive through the town then. And he's willing to hit anybody in town. But much to his credit, and even after all of the body horror and knowing that Styles is whack as can be, he still can't bring himself to hit Styles with the car. So he ends up wrecking the car. I put that he solved the trolley problem by wrecking his car instead of killing somebody. I don't think that's an option, though, in the trolley problem. It's not like you can just die. No, he, he broke it. It's, he Kobayashi marooned it. He cheated. He wakes up and and maybe a different kind of test. He wakes up trapped in a confessional and has a little chat with a uh, Sutter Kane who's trying to convince Trent and the rest of the world to believe in his version of reality. So he, he wants Trent to take his manuscript back into the real world, which then once everybody reads it, they'll go nuts and it will allow the fucking old gods to return more quickly and take over everything. Right. And back to back to back scary scenes. He appears behind him on the other side of the confessional. The CGI paper rip. Is that what you're, uh, the CGI paper rip. So he rips himself up and then Styles starts reading off to him the story to tell him basically what he's about to do and what he's doing. And it's looking into the vast void and then realizing that there's these monsters that are coming out of that void. So he has to go through this tunnel that appeared in the church to go back to town. Mm-hmm. So he runs from a bunch of creepy crawlies, which that effect, go ahead. The narration that she's reading there, anytime she's reading from Sutter Kane is either paraphrased or just direct Lovecraft rips. So here, that part is a just a direct part from one of those stories. So, and if you know what it is, uh, reach out and let us know. Yeah, there we go. That's that paper. Rip. It's such a cool look. Uh, but he, he looks out into the void and he sees monsters mm-hmm. chasing him and that, yeah, he runs through this, this tunnel. Do you guys know about um, the monsters that chase him? Tell us. So there's a bunch of monsters that you get quick glimpses of that chase him through this weird hallway. But actually the way it's designed, it is a wall of monsters that they are just pushing down the hallway a little bit. And they got cranks that are making them move from behind it. Yeah, it's like a kinetic sculpture, but just made out of movie monsters. Seeing this as a still is wild. Like you could see like there's like the, the creature from the Black Lagoon kind of looking thing. In the... Oh, those are the deep ones, Dave. The deep ones. That's what I meant to say. Like I said, this was a fresh watch. I should have watched it twice. Yeah, the deep ones are from that Innsmouth one, right? The, pe- the people are all fish people. They finds out by the end. Real oh, creepy. yeah, that's the Innsmouth. I've only watched Lovecraft movies. I've never seen any or read any Lovecraft. The Dunwich Horror movie from the 70s is absolutely nuts. It is insane. It's nonsense. But... You said this is just not what Lovecraft would have wanted. <laughs> yeah. What you should do is check out the Call of Cthulhu video game. Yeah. It's tight as hell. I think I might have it on Steam. Or just watch a playthrough, honestly. Hit it up on YouTube. I think that kind of game encounter would be good for oh, Dave. I think that kind of like fits his interest. I have Cthulhu Saves the World. Not the same. No, not the same. <laughs> it, it basically is like a game that probably should have come out in like 1998. It's pretty janky, but it's like an adventure kind of game. Like a LucasArts kind of adventure or? A little bit, but like a 3D version. Okay. All right, I'll have to find it. It's not like puzzle heavy. It's it's more like you're just doing a story basically. There's some like sneaking around uh, trying to avoid monsters, but it's pretty cool. It's got like a sanity meter. It's fun. And it's the more scary stuff you see, it can like affect the ending and stuff. More Cthulhu moments you like experience. Interesting. That sounds really good. That's on my alley. You should check it out. If you can catch it on sale, just put on like your wish list. John Trent escapes through the tunnel and he lands in the middle of like a field. A crossroads. Near a paper boy who is probably strong with the force. Yeah, that is uh, Hayden Christensen. Well, I'll tell you what, that boy does not like sand. He does not like sand. He hates that. He hates that sand. It gets everywhere. He hates it. Of course, it gets everywhere. Something, something to midichlorians, and he... Not like you. You're so soft. And then he, this Dave is where he just drops the dangerous manuscript in the middle of the road. He drops the (laughs) world-ending manuscript in the middle of the road. (laughs) Yeah. Not even, he couldn't have chucked it in the weeds. Nope. Like, I get it because he dropped it. And he was like, oh, well, scary. But you could have, like, you could have chucked that one in the weeds or, like, in a creek or something. It would just dissolve and go away. Right. Mm-hmm. 
But no, he leaves it right in the middle of the road, right by the child. Before the Force awakens him. He hitchhikes his way to a hotel, and the next morning, the guy at the front desk gives him a package and whoops it up at that book. You said he was staying in number nine at Hobbs End at the Pickman Hotel, and he was, and he was number nine in the mental institution. And at this place, he's in number six. So it's upside down. I don't, I don't know what the imagery there is, but it's upside down. Hmm. 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 Uh, yes. So then he hops a bus. Hmm. Wait, before he hops the bus, he threatens, he threatens this young man at the desk and starts shaking him. He goes, who was, who delivered this? Who was here last night and picked it up? And then this big guy comes out like, I was here last night. And then he just leaves. It's like, I'm not going to threaten the big guy. <laughs> Everything crazy has been happening. Well, the big guy says, yeah, he's, he, he doesn't know who dropped it off. And I didn't see shit. So what else is he going to get out of there? It's a really creepy sequence. Losing his mind on this kid delivering mail. Yeah, he's starting to unravel a little bit. This is classic Lovecraft stuff. This is the point where he saw too much spooky business, so he's starting to lose it. He hallucinates on the bus that Sutter Kane is there and turns the world blue, which is kind of freaky. Right, and now, uh, looking back, every close-up on everyone's creepy eyes, they're blue. So he just mentioned that his favorite color was blue, and everything creepy that we had seen before was showing up blue, and you just weren't realizing it. It's blue. And it's another dream in a dream, too. Yeah, they keep going back to that well. It's just kind of like, it's very effective in communicating that this guy is on the ragged edge. He's losing it. It's a good little device. But Trent goes back to see Charlton Heston, and Charlton Heston tells Trent that Styles wasn't real and that he delivered the manuscript months ago. Right before that, he's in the public records place trying to find... Oh my God, yes. Hobbs end and the lady working at public records is like are you deaf and dumb sir and then he's like no he's like no I'm just looking for this place and, he's, and she's like yes and I've told you it doesn't exist I'm like this lady's maybe the worst employee ever well he's acting up too he's being a little bit insane he's going to public records and he says I'm trying to find this town and she's like I've told you 20 times it doesn't exist so you must be deaf Trent's kind of losing it now. He goes out, stops by a bookstore. He greets a young man who's reading the brand new Sutter Kane novel. And he says, Like the book? I love it. Good. And this shouldn't come as a surprise. And he picks up his axe and he... Before that, when he's with Chuck Heston, that he says basically, yeah, no styles. There's never been a styles. And he's like, you have to stop this book. It's already out. But the movie's already out too. Or is about to come out. Mm-hmm. And and he said that he wrote her out. That's what Trent said, that Sutter Kane wrote her out of the story, and that's why she doesn't exist anymore. But ultimately not true, because she's in the movie. Oh, because she trapped her there in the fake reality. But she does. she's not at the end. She's not at the end at all. No, but she's in the movie. Yeah, but he writes her out from that point on. But she's in the movie. Yeah, she was no... So they don't know. Linda Stiles is listed as one of the top actors in the movie on the poster. I, Dave, I'm with you because at that point, Sam is being obtuse. <laughs> yes, listen, but at the point where Chuck Heston doesn't think she exists, she had already been written out of reality as existence. So she did exist when she was with Chuck Heston, but after she went to Hobbs End, because she didn't come back, she did not exist in the universe anymore. Okay. So since she didn't come back, she had never been there in the first place. I mean, I get that, but I'm just saying, like, you, you write someone out of a, you can write someone out of a show and they never show up again. But in a movie, you would probably do like go back and redo it without them if they're not going to be in it. But from Chuck Heston's perspective, she doesn't exist. Right, because he's in the movie. They're all in the movie, even at this point. Like that Spaceballs scene. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now, now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. So Trent does his little chop, and we're back to real time. So this is when we cut back to TGRI, our guy, David Warner, and he says, oh, don't you, don't you know there's a movie? 
because he says that's one of the questions that the professor asks. He's like, well, what about people who don't read books? And he says, there's a movie. So Trent is okay. So after he leaves, David Warner speaks with the attendant physician at the hospital and is asked, do you read Sutter Kane? Next thing you know, spooky monster stuff. It seems like a bad night. There's lots of shadowy tentacles and people screaming. And Trent wakes up and is okay. And apparently the sole survivor of the facility. And then he goes to the movies and watches In the Mouth of Madness. Yes, he rejoins civilization while it's all falling apart. And over through this, we hear a radio broadcast that tells about violence and uh, people transforming into monsters. And there, like there was mass killings that kind of jump-started this. And people started turning into monsters and doing more killings. And um, Trent walks to a movie theater. And it's starring, like you said, Sam, John Trent. It's starring Styles and Sutter Kane. Then he sits down and watches the movie and laughs. And honest to goodness, I thought that ending is just pitch perfect. It's one of the better horror movie endings that I've ever seen. I've never seen an ending like that before. Totally satisfying. The movie, the credits rolled and I was like, yeah, absolutely. There's no better way that that could have ended. My favorite touch on the movie poster, though, is that the movie's directed by John Carpenter and produced by New Line Cinema. That's awesome. That's a cool touch. And even cooler touch is in the actual credits of the movie, the lead three actors that are on that poster are not listed in the credits at all. So Sam Neill is not in the credits of In the Mouth of Madness because he's John Trent in the movie. The movie is not over whenever the credits start. And even better, at the end of the credits, after where it says that animals weren't harmed in the movie... The text reads, human interactions monitored by the Intergalactic Psychiatric Institute. The body count was high, casualties heavy. So no animals were harmed, but uh, but a plethora of humans were were harmed. I didn't watch the rolling credits. So. Right, yeah, because why would you? Right. But now knowing it, that Sutter Kane, Linda Stiles, and John Trent are not in the credits because they're in the movie. They're real. That's a super cool touch. That's very cool. Well, this movie... Like we said earlier, it had an estimated budget of around $8 million. The opening weekend was uh, $3.4 million, with a worldwide gross eventually of eight point nine. It didn't do great. I'm guessing, though, like a lot of other films, this did pretty good on video, just being a Carpenter film, VHS sales and things, because it's got a pretty good following. I mean, people, just because of maybe the resurgence of Lovecraft, this one gets a decent amount of kind of lip service, I feel like. A different score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 58% critic score, 78% audience score. And IMDb is similar with a 7.1 overall. Well, before we get to whether or not I think this is a spook or a spoof, let's decide who's our hero. And who's your villain? In a segment we like to call, Who's Your Hero? And Who's Your Villain? Let's start with, I'll go with villain. I don't think I really like Jorgen Pranchow's performance as Sutter Kane. I thought he's like, he's got a great look, but I don't know that he's really selling me on the cosmic horror of it. And it really took me out of it, all the points where he was directly interacting. I mean, there's some good, special effects in the scene with him in the door and when the door breaks open and things like that with, you know, the, the monster baby on his back. But the character in his crazy wig really took me out of it at a really pivotal point. That and the Encarta kind of like flame walls. So that's my villain. My villain in this one is uh, capitalism again. <laughs> again. <laughs> so Chuck Heston, knowing that this book is going to cause insanity, still puts it out and releases the movie. He could have stopped it, but no. It was an unstoppable juggernaut because they needed to make that money on the distribution rights. That right there caused the end of the world. Then my villain is the average consumer that knows that this has already made other people crazy. And yet they're like, well, I guess I better check out the new one and go see the movie and see if it makes me crazy. It's a good point. I feel like most of the people at that point, though, are already crazy because they've read all the books. So they're like kind of on the ragged edge at this point already. All right, let's let's go to Heroes. My other villain is the public records lady. I think she was a real jerk. <laughs> yeah, but Trent was a real asshole also. So, I mean, like... We didn't see him be an asshole in that scene. I think it's safe to assume. It cut right to her saying, are you deaf and dumb? Fair enough. I'm assuming he was a nice guy. 
Well, I think my hero in this one is definitely going to be Simon Wilhelm von Homburg. I really like that performance. I really like that character, like the dad. He's come for his boy, and Sutter Kane took his boy. And then the scene in the bar, I think, is probably one of the best in the movie, performance-wise, certainly. My hero was Sutter Kane for writing out one of the worst characters in any movie I've ever seen, Linda Stiles. (laughs) (laughs) Worst character. She drove me crazy. Everything she said was so weirdly stilted and so, like, clearly, like, toe the company line kind of a lady but in a way that was kind of an unreal thing the whole time she was just she kind of felt like she didn't belong in this movie she belonged in like an 80s movie where the bad guy was someone trying to tear down a rec center or something she didn't necessarily fit in this film so i thought writing her out was a good call on sutter kane's part seems like you basically got two villains didn't you i guess i did on those coattails i'll read i'll read off to you all of my heroes of this movie so i'll start with hp lovecraft who's much maligned for his dated views on humanity, but should also be applauded for his knack for inhumanity, which is something that, you know, is pretty solid in this movie and anything he writes, the least human, the least understandable things, and that's what's the most horrifying. Then John Carpenter, who I think has a true, unique horror vision, and uh, he's done a lot of my favorite movies. This, Thing, Prince of Darkness, Big Trouble in Little China, like... A lot of my staples that I feel like because he has this perfect mind for his vision and like exactly what he wants to achieve with it, like the, having the knowledge to say, mm-hmm. you know, we were going to do that effect with, with a dude. We tried it. It didn't work for me. Most directors would be like, oh, well, that's the way it looks mm-hmm. because we already spent the money on it. And he says, no, we're going to try it again in miniature. It also shows the clout that he had because right. of just how much he's shown everybody. He was printing money for them. So in addition to that, I'll say the special effects, regardless of what Reed might have thought about what was inside the church, were like absurdly cool and unique and very good. So the Encarta yes, fire. Right. Then for Greg Nicotero, the effects, the makeup, the everything. All the monsters and stuff look great. I mean, for the most part, the effects looked amazing. That was like, yeah, the little blue screen moment was Probably like one of the big, that and the paper rip are probably the biggest. Uh... See, I really liked the paper rip. I didn't like the door as much as you guys did. I love the paper rip. I think after he was like looking out through the hole, it was really cool. But the initial paper rip. It was just kind of a weird moment. I mean, it wasn't too bad. But how do you make a 2D thing out of, a th- you know, I don't know. I don't know if it could be done better now. Honestly, though, the visuals in this one, I think, are amazing. I think that. This is one of the better horror movies that is out there. And I don't, I don't think this one, uh, like we kind of mentioned, I think this one deserves a big bump because if you haven't watched this one, you should. My true villain are the people who are not willing to give this movie a fair shake. Absolutely. Check this one out. This is a lot of fun. It's really good. It looks good the whole time. I can't believe some of those are practical effects. That really, that really almost knocked me off my seat right there. That, that's crazy. Everything in this movie is just crazy in the best possible way. Yeah, I like it a lot. This will not be my last watch through of this flick. That's for sure. Sam, obviously this is your pick, so you you recommend it. Oh, yeah. I think it's definitely a spook fest. Very scary stuff happens in this movie. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. A lot of jump scares, the hand coming through the window, the hand grabbing Styles by the shoulder, a lot of axe things, tentacle things cosmic existential horror tentacle hotel lady very freaky they had a lot of cosmic horror and then some just straight up regular horror with that guy handcuffed to his wife and right the the lack of free will oh and this takes me back okay so i wanted to talk about who he's on the phone with right nobody he's in a movie he's being directed he was told to talk into a phone by whatever Sutter Kane wrote into the book. Oh, I like that a lot. So just like in a real movie, you're not really talking to somebody on the other side. So it's like... You're just talking into a phone. Like Diane and Twin Peaks, right? More or less. Although Diane ended up being a real person in the newest season. So More or less. More or less. We can get into that, but that's a, that's a whole can of worms that there's a four-hour video on YouTube about that you should watch instead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I need to catch up 
and see that final one. And hey, maybe uh, maybe we'll do a little mini series about all of that. Well, I agree. I think this is quite spooky. Dave, I assume you agree as well. Unlike The Gate, there's no question this was definitely a spooky movie. Uh, the Gate, I had to sell you, I think, a little bit on the spook of it all. But I think this one, if you're not spooked by this movie, you're already dead. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam Neill, a great horror actor. Who would have thunk? I don't think it's on. It's in our purview, but maybe next year we can do another Cosmic Horror and uh, check out Event Horizon. I watched that movie recently and the graphics don't hold up. It's got Morpheus in it, so you can just look at him. So the next movie on our list is Night of the Creeps, yes? Night of the Creeps, yes, that is the flick. I watched that for the very first time uh, on demand uh, at your parents' house at like 3 a.m. because I couldn't sleep because I, I drank like a whole gallon of uh, iced tea. Nice. A tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that'll just about do it for In the Mouth of Madness. Um, be sure to check this one out if you haven't. And, you know, Sam Neill, you can't go wrong. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the cast and crew of In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter. Thanks for this one, bud. This is a good one. Appreciate it. Also, special thank you to our guest on this spookier, spoopy, special bonus episode. Thank you, Dave, for handling all the social media and making these uh, interactable events possible. Um, where can our friends reach you on the internet? So at NerdoplexiPod, you can reach at, you can hit me up with any of your uh, movie questions, anything like that. Uh, but if you want some some funny stuff, some weird stuff, some sometimes why did I say that stuff? ask stuff sometimes ask stuff not as much recently uh, on that on there because you guys made fun of me for saying weird ass stuff (laughs) so i've been trying to not do it again (laughs) well you've got to live your truth that's all i'll say that's true Uh, uh, follow me at the face of dave if you're not into twitter you can also email us at nerdoplexy at gmail.com and swing by nerdoplexy.com you check out uh, the website there. It's the homepage for the podcast. You can also become a subscriber there for five bucks a month. If you do that, become a subscriber at that level. You can pick a bonus episode that we'll watch. Um, Sam, uh, can our friends, uh, you want, I, you might say I'm hyperactive in the Twitter sphere and can be reached at PGH underscore SVH. If you're lucky, you might catch a tweet there ever. Something like in you know that 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 gaping cosmic hole that John Trent was looking in. That was where my Twitter activity lies. It's it's everywhere and nowhere all at once. I see. Well, you can follow me at pgh underscore read. Hit me up on Facebook at Only Jams Band. Yeah, it's it's a it's not as good of a joke since they're they're not letting people gape nearly as much in OnlyFans. Well, I I heard that there's there's just certain things that they're not letting out, but the the, the goof is kind of somewhat lost. We're working on it. We're gonna workshop it. That being said, be sure to check out Night of the Creeps uh, for your next spooky or spoopy. Let us know if you thought this one was spooky or spoopy, and what we should also add to our horror rotations. So until next time, we'd like to leave you with uh, this thought to ponder. Who do you think was running the projector in the movie theater? John Carpenter. Do you think he goes to movie theaters and, like, kicks his movies off? Me neither. Me neither.